Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. If you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that's because you're either listening live and in the chat room, or you've happened upon a pre-edit copy, one of those nasty little copies with all the junk and stuff in there that we don't want you to hear. So come back in an hour, and we'll have an edited version all ready for you. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 243, is recorded live May 28, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed from the scuba side of the state of Michigan. I'm Darren Jilson. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, very comfortable in the warm weather. It is nice. This is the weather that we should have. I could handle this all year round. Absolutely. Yeah, I I might miss the ice dive, but we can travel for that. Also joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just great, thank you. And I assume you're you're getting the same weather we are? Uh, Yes. Excellent. So we, what would you say this is? I don't think we've quite gotten into the 80s. This is about as warm as it gets before you start hearing people complaining it's too hot which is probably the definition of perfection. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. We have a full news week this week, plenty of articles. And probably the first five or six are follow-ups to ones we've covered on previous podcasts. First one is the Navy. The Navy is considering a fourth site for its submarine escort dock in Port Angeles. The Navy is exploring a fourth alternative for its $16.7 million submarine escort vessel dock. Uh, The site is the fourth alternative, will not be released until this fall. This is according to Navy spokesman. So it will be part of the project's environmental assessment. My eyes are getting bad. I'm going to have to zoom in on this. Ugh. I use tiny type. Am I sounding old now? Uh, the release of the draft environmental assessment will be followed by a 30-day comment period. Uh, the 13th Coast Guard District in Seattle said late Friday they were unaware of the fourth alternative. An environmental assessment is required under National Environment Protection Agency. Part of the NEPA process, possible alternatives could change. The Navy remains on track to build the dock in December of 2016. And what is coming out is that it is feedback from people, including scuba divers, who are a little upset with the three spots they had chosen, So, which has prompted the fourth alternative. So either the fourth one is a site that everybody's going to love and can't be there, 
or it's going to be one of those sites you're going, oh, my gosh, if they go there, it ruins everything. Yeah, no, those other sites are better. Let's see what some of the comments they have here. Uh, said uh, One of the, the people said, we raise concerns and we have yet to sit down with anyone to see what kind of response they have to propose. Uh, tribal officials have expected further dis- uh, discussion on the project uh, with the Navy during its scheduled meeting in June. The three alternatives as outlined Navy report described the proposed action and alternatives. This is the same one we've talked about several several times in the presentations. Yeah. This is the only one that didn't really have a good map to show us the different locations, which I thought was a little odd because that's always nice to look at. Yeah. Yeah, the last time we covered it, there was a really nice map. And now they're not but showing it. At all there. No, it's... Yeah. Nothing. I never realized where this was, by the way. I kept thinking that's California, but it isn't. Oh, it's not? We, we can... No, that's no, by Washington. It's Washington by where State. you broke up? Washington State? Yeah. The uh, station Port Angeles was established in 2003. And it's oh. co-located with the air station in Sectorfield or the SFO. Uh-huh. And it was established to meet the challenges, what they call the challenges of a dynamic international border with Canada. Well, that lets out California. And they're going Homeland Security mission in and along the straits of Juan de Fuca, F-U-C-A. Yeah. So I can butcher those names as well as you can. Yeah, you, you're qualified. Uh, so it says it covers the central and eastern straits from Pillar Point to Whidbey Island. So why didn't anybody correct us on this? All our California divers, they're just laughing away as we're talking about it. I thought Port Angeles was something like, you know, you have Los Angeles. I just figured that was, you know, like we have the same thing in Michigan where you have, uh, you know, all the ports, and then you have these little things that are nothing more than a dock, and they have their own name, you know, Glen. So that's what I figured it was. I figured it was just, you know, of course it makes sense. It kind of sounds and rhymes. That should have been our first clue we were on. Right, and then I took a look at some of the pictures of the uh, the site itself on the Coast Guard station, and looking at the big buildings in the background, it really surprised me. And there are hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, that's- hold on. Damn. Oh, you guys couldn't hear it, but I had, let's see, 626. I'm going to have to go and edit that crap out. What happened? Oh, it. You pull up the next page, and everybody. You know, here, here's where I'm going to vent. I'll leave the vent in. These freaking websites. If I want to watch a video, I'll go to a video site. I don't want your site that I want to read text on, and then have you pull this piece of shit video ad right in the middle of your website. <laughs> I don't know why they think. Yeah, you know, they are cannibalizing. They're like eating their own babies. And you know, smash your baby on the rock, and then. Go and get it, you know, try and make some money from it. It's well, don't hold that. Don't yeah, hold that. Yeah, I'm just, oh. You know, it's because I'm in the industry. I just see crap like this. It's like, what are you guys on, crack or heroin? Hey, yeah, they get, they get a bunch of people with six- and seven-figure salaries together and have them decide how, what makes money. 
Yeah, every everybody will love that. Yeah, that will improve readership. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the next article we won't cover. It was it was a really short one anyway. Well, hang uh, on. Yeah, actually, I'll I'll talk about it. Don't 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 listen to it. <laughs> but the uh, what it was is it was zebra mussels. Uh, remember Christmas light where they were talking about they had the uh, the zebra mussels and they did the treatment. Yeah. They did that in January and February, and they've been doing diving. I guess they had over a couple hundred hours of diving in on this lake, and they said it was zebra-free. Well, now they found a very small cluster of zebras. They found 10 zebras at one end of the lake. Oh, no, 10 zebra mussels. Yeah, exactly. So they found 10 zebra mussels, but now uh, they're not going to do anything about it. They they maintained they did the right treatment everything's gonna be fine, but they're gonna ignore these. So, isn't that a, like ignoring two like a male and a female rabbit in your yard? <laughs> I think so. But, yeah, you got ten today. You'll have a hundred in a week, and you'll have ten million in a month. So I don't. Time know. will tell. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I think we have not heard the end of this. There will be some more zebra mussels and Christmas lights, and I'm boycotting that. Website. I'm not going to give them credit. I want to talk about them. They're dead to me. Somebody could also spice it up and toss a couple of quaggas in there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what everybody's looking for. One, one of the things they did ask is for people with boats to make sure that you're properly um, the boats and not bringing them in that way. But what do you think it is, Mac? Do you think they're, they're probably coming in off duck's legs, aren't they? I don't know, but as you talked about the cleaning thing, I, I'm going into the environmental aspect through the DEQ here in Michigan, Lake Michigan, or in Michigan proper. Yeah. And one of their big um, items this year is trying to get people to volunteer to work at all the dive sites and at the boat launches to help ensure people are taking care of their boats when they get out and getting in so they don't spread muscles. This is a real big deal in Michigan. What, uh, okay. Where are they trying not to spread mussels to? Into the little lakes. Don't all the little lakes already have the mussels? A lot of them. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking at is that you get the cat out of the bag. Unless there's another invasive species that they're concerned with and it's preemptive. Because yeah, I, I think when you, it's like you, you put, if you keep pulling the fire alarm, then eventually nobody pays attention when it goes off. And that's what I kind of wonder if this is. Is this a little too little too late for us in Michigan? Well, I really haven't noticed a lot of that kind of stuff in pawpaw. Zebras? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's been a year or so since I was in pawpaw. But... Well, it's one of those I've been diving and I really hadn't paid any attention. But as we say that, Duh, I don't remember seeing any. Oh. Well, maybe maybe there are still some some lakes that don't have it. Yeah, and you figure that's the well, the largest one in the uh Well how about how about Lake Lake Sixteen? Do we we don't have zebras there, do we? Oh I was out there a couple of weeks ago and I should have picked up some of the stuff I was finding on the bottom for a sample, because I meant to do that. I, I'm not sure what those shells were I was looking at, uh-huh. but they were dead. 
Yeah, you know, that you mentioned, I don't think Lake 16 has zebras because it's, we go in the cars and the platforms. It's You, you just get to where you, you're looking at other things, you don't pick up on that. So that, maybe it's a good point. Well, I didn't see anything on the chains. There's nothing on the on the on the ships or the boats down there. No, there was nothing on the platform. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, Lake 16 is too dark and cold for zebras. <laughs> there's something in the water we don't know about. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that could be too. Well, here up in Wisconsin, they have Lake Little Muskego Lake boat ramp has been closed temporarily. And this is to fight another invasive species. They are closing the boat ramp to help with divers over May 27th and 28th, the temporary closing and launch is a safety measure. Uh, they're trying to combat the starry stonewort invasive plant. I'm not, stonewort, that, I think that's one of those aquarium type of plants again. It's like the millflower one. They get started. And they just multiply like crazy. Yeah, because I, I I can almost visualize them in in fish tanks. Just got to be more careful where we're putting our crap. Our yeah, don't, don't dump it out. Don't don't put it in the lake, guys. But the, but where else are they going to release their piranha? And you know, every year we're a lake in Poland. somewhere out there. Yeah, a lake in Poland. Well, he, exactly that uh, leads up to this next one out of Poland. Divers were left dumb, dumbfounded after discovering a dead octopus was c- carrying out their annual cleanup in the lake uh, Mishuria in northern Poland. It was pulled out of the lake, weighed over one and a half kilograms, and stretched to over half a meter. It was a huge surprise, obviously. The reason they're saying obviously because it's a freshwater lake. They don't have octopus in there. They're wondering how it got into the lake. Uh, like many other lakes in the region, the spot was popular with bathers in summer months, but all the time the divers have cleaned the bottom of the lake, uh, nothing of this kind has ever been found. Typical finds are bottles, cars, clothing, cans, bicycle frames. Uh, and the fact they recently found a rusty sword. So yours is nicer, Mac. Perhaps someone had kept it as an octopus in an aquarium or brought it from a frozen... Bought it frozen in from the supermarket is one of the ideas they proposed. You would figure that they, they took it, they could do an autopsy and tell if it had, had been freshwater, it had been frozen. So if they really wanted to know, I think they could tell. Yeah, I'm guessing this is just a, hey, look what we found. Somebody snapped a picture and then the, the network reporters covered it. I don't think it's anything super scientific. Almost every year, you you see the one that you know they find the shark. They're up in the in the locks. Every year they have one. Huh. Generally, it's because somebody caught it. They throw it overboard when they're going through the locks, and it creates a stir. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jim. We kept talking over you. That's okay. I was just going to say, I wonder if there might have been uh, somebody from the Detroit Red Wings that went back home and took one with him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now the season's over for them. Yeah, isn't that the, isn't that the group that always throws the octopus on the ice or something? Yeah, at the Red Wings games. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, uh, that could get a little smelly. Smelly. <laughs> they keep them on ice. Yeah, that's true. I I still like the part where they said they'd also found a, a crocodile there. Yeah, in 2011. 
So, so it sounds like somebody's having some fun there. <laughs> well, it could be somebody knew the divers are going to be there. I mean, that would that would be a prank, wouldn't it? You had a frozen one, or you went to the butcher shop and said, "Hey, sell me that." You want yeah. to catch something? Yeah, and the choice, the chance of finding something, unless it was left in an area that a lot of people go. Let's see. Can you we know? tell in the background by the area where they're yeah. at? There's, yeah, it looks like a little pedestrian footbridge behind them. Do they float when they're dead? I don't know. I sure it looks like it would I be don't think so. Yeah, they'd be, yeah, they'd be pretty neutral. Yeah, he does look fresh. He doesn't look you know, all stiff or anything. Not broken up. Yeah. And they didn't mention any cuts. I that on hanging on my face. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Interesting. And then in the... Gosh, I didn't know how to talk about this one. This is a terrible incident that happened. A uh, father and son were run over by a powerboat. Uh, it was a dive boat they're on. The captain of the, of the boat was the owner of the boat and didn't normally dive it, and he backed up and ran him over, uh, oh. cut cut the son's head open uh, to where it exposed the brain, and the uh, dad that cracked his skull, they both had to go through surgery. Uh, they've been awarded $12 million in the settlement. It was scheduled to go to uh, court. Uh, the attorneys for the case said that they don't normally take these types of cases because they're limited in the value of the boat is what you can get, which I didn't, I didn't realize that. It hmm. doesn't sound logical. Oh crap. I can't get now though. I know. It's just, you, you can't pop ups. Yeah. I hate that. And the thing is they let you in once. So you, you, so then I shared the damn article and now you can't get into it. Oh, but but I need a bat. I'm I'm done. I'm I'm. This, this computer's gone. We'll just smash it. It's the computer's fault. Uh, the internet's not working the way I want. <laughs> what I did is I went to a different web and then plugged it in like uh-huh. Google Chrome, and it, it, I could almost read it. At, let me try that one more time. And I can finish it for you if you like. Yeah, if, you, if there's anything that we missed. Uh, it's a tragic event. I mean, I, you know the captain of the boat didn't want to do it, but he made a mistake and he severely injured somebody. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if $12 million is the right amount. Well, if, if they were seriously impaired mentally, who got the money? And they're going to have to have treatment for life. It didn't yeah, sound it. like they were seriously impaired. Uh, you know, that they both had surgery, but the, the $12 million is for, you know, mental distress and lost work and other things. And sometimes I think they put those amounts in there, you know, knowing that they could be up or, or down. But one thing I thought was kind of odd is part of the settlement was that the father gets the two propellers from the boat. Why would you want that? I don't know. But that this is the prop that hit me. I'm going to hang it on my wall. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's worth 12 million bucks. Yeah, we have a, look. Look, we have a little piece of scalp. 
Okay, I went to a different site. I went to the legal firm, Allison Legal Company, because that's who, who did it. Yes. Now, let me look here real quick. Yeah, they they even said that they normally don't take these types of cases because they don't believe they can win them. Yeah. Uh, Florida Keys Dive Center settled with its former customers on May 13th after initially contending it should be protected by liability release forms the father signed. The settlement terms will not be final until they're reviewed by a guardian and approved by the court. He said initially he thought it would be hard to win, impossible to win, because of the sign release and a maritime law that can limit boat owners' liability. And let's see why it didn't apply to them. 46-foot boat got pretty good size prop, and that's what ran over them. Yeah, it's just a case of inexperience. That's it. They also sued the dive master, the dive dive center owners. The settlement provided $11 million to Calvin and a million to his father. And that's based on the severity of the injury injury for the one gentleman as opposed to the dad. Yeah. Now, they say what the age of the the son was at the time. I'm looking and it does not give any ages. Now that you mentioned, I would be interested to know, I think. Yeah. I mean, did he, was he an adult? Did he miss out on, you know, his junior and senior year in school, how they recovered? There's a lot that wasn't said. Okay, the the father... Jerry T. Atkins is 39. Uh, let's see. Well, the guy was 39. Oh, Calvin, then 11. Oh. How horrible. Yeah. And let's see here. Again, father and son suffered permanent injuries, including brain damage, skull fractures, and... So it's basically life care for the kid. Oh, wow. But I'm still not a fan of under-teens diving, but that's a different story. Yeah, that, that was a, a different event. This is just a, yeah, it's, a, it's bad. It's bad all the way around. Well, they were saying also the design of the boat was such that he couldn't see when he was backing up. Well, hell yes, you can't see what's behind you by your props. Well, that's why you you have other people on the boat. You have people who spot. I mean, that's why we don't allow boats within a hundred and some feet of a dive flag. Yeah, that includes. Right. We're, that, not, that and we're not doing boating either. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I've, there's been like I like when we do the Cooper River. That is one of the things that kind of makes me nervous. But I'm I'm trying to protect myself from that. Yeah. I'm putting up my least dominant hand to be sacrificed to the <laughs> propeller. <laughs> well, and some people said I'd bring my head up first because that's the least thing. You know, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's I'm you surprised guys. your head wouldn't your head would break off the propeller like a rock. So uh, we need to do it like the Jersey divers. I mean, you guys were were diving with all that gear. You just take some of the weight off your belt and put it up there. Yeah, I mean just. Hammers, pry bars. Yeah. Wow. 
That was interesting. It just means be careful, people. And yeah. if you're a boat owner. Well, and be aware of the props. It's, even on our small little boats, uh, yeah, I could, I could, I've cut myself on the prop. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when you're when you're not putting the diet, or if you're on a boat that doesn't have a a ladder, sometimes you're crawling up the the outboard yeah. to get in the back of the boat, and those props are sharp. Yeah, and that was done in 2011. Yeah. So look how long it went to court. Oh, yeah, and and then if you are justified in having the money, you how long you go without having it? You know, how many how many medical bills and oh yeah things you've got? And then once if you got you know, your medical insurance company, once they think somebody else is responsible, they stop paying. Yeah. Oh yeah, you got this great medical insurance, but hey, it's their fault, so go sue them. Well, what they were doing actually, I'm looking at the other part. The Atkins were taking part in a drift dive with 15 other people, which meant the divers moved with the current instead of staying in one area. The divers were also live boating, so they're aware of a potential hazard. Yeah, it's it's true. It's live boating. Yeah, and he said they left the engines running. Well, running is different than in neutral. Yeah. You know? I mean, you can have your engines running if you got it neutral. Right. Well, they're just saying it was improper communications when they jumped in between the dive master, his mate, uh, and the divers. And they did not maintain a proper lookout when he backed it up. Well, so there is negligence right there. Why can they, you know, and, and the, we don't know the configuration of the boat, but if it's that long, I'm picturing that those are fixed, like inboard type propellers. On a 46 footer, I bet you. Yeah. So why couldn't they have some sort of shielding? You know, something to make it a little bit harder to get into the. Uh, I well, guess. normally, if you're if you've done a live boating, one you do it neutral. Otherwise, you jump off the boat away from you. It's not backing up over you. Mm-hmm. So why he went backwards, I don't know didn't say unless he was backing to slow down or to come towards them to pick them up and misjudge the distance and yeah would, would you stay behind the boat coming at you under power um right. i've started to swim away but yeah it depends how close the boat gets well and and, and were how you quick it's coming at me under power yeah well, could I... they have been coming up the platform because yeah, I've been I, I've been on drift boats where you know they have yelled off the back of the boat you know stay there we'll come to you we'll come to you and then as they've gotten closer it's been you know swim on over but yeah never have I been in a situation where I've been that close that I've been worried about the boat keep coming and you know grab or grab something or get hauled under. Now, I, I make it a point, I never stay behind the boat, it's off to the side, because like like that, accidents happen. Yeah. yeah. But again, that goes back, would you really let your 11-year-old son do a drift dive? Um, <clears throat> uh, it's hard to say, you know, depending on where they are, how deep, and et cetera. Yeah, how experienced you are. You know, large group. 
I'm with him. Clear water in Florida, off the Keys. I won't say no. I mean, it's bad enough, you know, when you got a neutral and you're in the back trying to come up the freaking ladder and you get asphyxiated. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. Well, here's another. There must be lawsuit day. Shipwreck company suing North Carolina over treasure linked to Blackbeard uh, has petitioned for dismissal. The Florida-based company engaged in a legal battle with North Carolina over treasure linked to Blackbeard's flagship has dropped its case. The attorney representing Intersol Incorporated gave notice the state of administration hearings on Tuesday a voluntary dismissal of the case without prejudice. Uh, Intersol discovered the Queen Anne's Revenge almost 20 years ago and got a contract for rights to photos and videos of the wreck and the recovery, study, and preservation of historic artifacts. Meanwhile, North Carolina developed the Discovery into Museum, exhibits photos and video on the website and social media, and Intersol said the state violated its contract with its displays, and the company sought $7 million for alleged misuse and $7 million from the State Department of Cultural Resources. So they were saying that uh, you're supposed to have exclusive rights to it. Uh, so the court, the case didn't seem to be going their way, so they, they dropped it. And then the next day they filed it in federal court. So not being an attorney, is this a normal thing? Take my marbles and go elsewhere. It's wherever you think you're going to have the best chance of winning. That's like a lot of lawsuits. <clears throat> Excuse me. They always say you're going to be tried in our venue, the venue we select, meaning in your state, because it may be different than somebody yeah. else's daily work. Yeah. Well, also, also you want to do that because of the uh, first thing is if you're a large corporation, you have favorable things in whatever state you incorporate in. Uh, the other is just travel expense. You know, make make somebody else have to travel to your location. But it's moving the federal court, plans to uh, its $14 million lawsuit as of Wednesday morning. Uh, it had been dismissed in local court. Uh, the Department of Cultural Resources position is has not breached the contract. Its lawyer, Kevin Howell, said Wednesday, since Intersol found the wreck in 1996, it made contracts with a state which by law owns the wreck <coughs> to be paid for by meteorites with since there was little treasure on board to compensate Intersol for the money it spent searching for the wreck. Uh, so, see, so here's the details. Oh, the, the lack of. Yeah, well, the uh, Office of Administration, which is uh, in North Carolina where the hearings had contended, uh, that does not award damages. So the, the, it looks like they hit filed in a jurisdiction that doesn't have or doesn't, by practice, award damages in these cases. Now, here's my thing, is a wreck is something that's on the bottom. So let's say that's not underwater. Let's say it was on alongside the highway here. There's a wreck. Can you get exclusives to that to where other people can't take pictures of it and share them? Pictures, I don't think so. Not, a, not if you can see it from a public area and take a picture, then it's free for taking a picture. Well, right, but this is underwater. How is that not a public area? 
I could go take the photos. But it's not. Is there saying you can't take photos of it? Well, the, what they're saying is that because the the state went and used photos and videos, it it harmed them. But how could the state, the first place, even grant them exclusivity to photos and videos? I mean, that would not, be my that'd be my argument. It's just out there. Now you could do a gentleman's agreement since you know the state benefited from this and they worked to the state and the state said, yeah, you know, we won't compete with you. I mean, that would be a different thing. But to say that nobody that somehow you got exclusive rights to it. It's been interesting, but again, you're talking something twenty years they've been working with this. Yeah. Now this is probably the last great thrashing of whatever company that is. You know, they spend all that money. And a lot of times those investors are only for specific projects. So you've got a salvage company and they're like their share and you've got people who haven't gotten a penny out of it and they're trying to figure out, you know, what's the last chance. So this is probably the last chance is to sue. Yeah. You know how deep our shipwreck is? No. 25 feet. Just off the coast. 25 foot shipwreck. 25 foot. So, so a kid in a kayak can can go and on a good day you could probably take video from the surface. Uh, well, how about this for a fundraiser? Chamber Day in 2015 raises 117,129 dollars. This is the USC Catalina Hyperbaric Chamber. Over a thousand people participated in the fundraiser. We talked about this also. Remember? We did. This is. I'd still say is part of a follow-up. Yes, and that's a heck of a lot of money. <laughs> we'll have to recruit those people and see if they can help us with the projects for MaxRec. Yeah. They know how to raise money. They do. Two hundred, uh, three hundred ninety-two divers came to gaze at the aquarium exhibits, buy raffle tickets, and dine in the Great Hall. Yeah, because we talked about the whole thing. Well, we talked about it. It's really great when you have dedicated people who want to put up the money. You can do a lot. Yeah. But again, we also mentioned that look at the dive area and the, the volume of people versus where we're at. Yeah, well, look at how many divers. And then you had a of the U.S. Guard, Baywatch, Port Police. So you had a, just a, it's a great thing. And, it's, and, and uh, I've seen these events, not around school, but other activities. They become social. So people just like to come out and do it. So it's, it's entertainment. They feel like you're getting something for the money. And you, you also get a little moral self-licensing. You know, it's, as, as a side note, you're breaking up on It's shocking. Okay. You're sounding pretty good. Okay. So when everybody hears this played back, they'll think you're crazy. Uh, let's see here. As I hear a mouse running. I think if we'd have been there, if we'd have been there, we would have gone. Yeah. I would go. How about some uh, or no, I said geoducks, gooey ducks. I know how to pronounce it. Why did I say it wrong? Because it looks like geoducks. But which is a mussel, looks like a big 
And I didn't realize how old they live over 100 years old. They said some of them, and they analyze the rings, kind of like trees, they have some that are 160 years old. So there's a geoduck that was alive when Lincoln was president. It's hard to believe. But they said what they're running into is that the shell, the shell, shellfish on the black market are increasing in value. They've doubled from $4 a pound in 2006 to as much as $15 a pound today. Most wow. of the harvest, over 75%, is sent over to Asia, who they use them in like a sushi. Also in soups and stews in Korea and uh, fondue style in China. The legal harvest generates 15 to $20 million in annual revenues for the state. This is in Washington. The beds are typically between 18 17 feet, and you buy licenses from the state. And the state does a lot of research. It said it's one of the best-managed fisheries, but poaching is starting to become rampant. Uh, they have patrols who are going around looking for boats who are poaching, running without proper lights is one way that they catch them. Also inspecting <clears throat> loads at the airport. They said right now there's so many holes and processes and the procedures for shipping that uh, fraud and poaching is relatively easy. Pretty excellent. Yeah, they're not uh, they're not pretty. The organisms in the animal the oldest recorded years old, but in the hundred or rare. They were talking about their broadcast spawners. A female produces five billion year eggs in her century-long lifespan due to a low rate of recruitment and high mortality for the eggs. They're slow to rebound when you overfish or overtake them. Yeah, they, they said the last two years, the population has been decreasing, and that's largely a result of the poaching. And part of the poaching could be is, as of 2011, these clams in China sell for $150 a pound. The other you can see the interest in taking some of those. Yeah, because even if they can get it for $75 a pound, which maybe a poacher is willing to do. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And it is a limited season, as I remember. Well, it's a, it's what they do is you're, it, it's like the other fisheries that they're they're starting to do now, where they set a quota, and part of the way they set the quota is by the amount of land, because they do they divide these in plots, and you get to bring up that plot. And then the idea, it's kind of like it's a, it's a little bit like clear cutting a forest if you're doing a plot because you're taking everything out. Right. Uh, but if they limit it, they they said it should come back. They right. said and they do have, like you were saying, um, agriculture, aquaculture, mm-hmm. uh, they're in uh, Puget Sound, where they actually, you know, try to breed them and have a bigger production than you'd normally have based on natural predators. Yeah, in, in these, when you're making the, this kind of money, you're going to take some time and try and get them to come back. It's a crop. It's You're farming it. You're going to try and get them back. Yeah, they're talking something like uh, 10 new acres of cultivation per year. 
And then it goes on, I'm reading a device of how they set up using PVC pipes and things like this mm-hmm. and how they set this up and where they grow. Yeah, uh, Mike Rowe and Dirty Jobs had an episode where he went and showed the process. Uh, some of them are using, you know, the shallow ones, they can they don't need to do uh, scuba gear. Deeper ones, they're doing scuba gear and uh, using hoses to erode the mud away to harvest the, the gooey ducks. Nothing this simple anymore. And I heard they are tasty. I've never tried one. And at this price, I, I don't think I need to. <laughs> I, I, I'll stick with lobster for now. I was trying to buy some clams in Maryland this weekend and couldn't get them. Everybody was sold out. Really? Wow. Now, is it season for them up there? Yes. Okay. I think a lot of times when the, the the seasons first start, they have a hard time keeping up and uh, they kind of catch up. How about this year? Yeah. Yeah, that's. This. Program war. Is Cambodia from Vietnam? So there's a picture. Look at that size of that. It's a Mark II aircraft. Grouping numbers that the day war ended till now, so it's a it's a huge number. They're saying annually they have thousands who are killed and uh, seriously maimed from fighting these ordinances. Those are landmines. That's the biggest hazard in a lot of those places. It's landmines, not uh, into water. is. Demining operations that focus primarily on parents, simply last skill to hand salvage. Some of the drivers, it's like a train them to dive. You learned to swim, you learned to dive, the bound and walk the lungs. So the tough. They said 40 candidates had to learn to survive in 30 days. Said so it's quite a learning curve, and it looks like uh, they narrow them down to ten graduates. And they said from those ten, only about nine continued on. Yeah, we don't typically run into that here. Not too many big ordinances we find in in the St. Joe River. No, but if you're interested in that, I knew a few spots. <laughs> I don't know. I like my fingers. When I worked over at uh, in Ohio, I won't say exactly where, but if you look at the aviation charts, you will find of uh, military MOAs, which mm-hmm. is military areas of where they do practice bombing and or live fire shelling. And they used to do beach patrol around this particular area, and it was not unusual to drag up either a mortar round or a aircraft. 3.2 inch rocket 
Now are these live? These are live ordinances. Occasionally, <laughs> yeah. I would assume for training they they would they would prefer to use dummies. Yes. Yeah. But if you if you're interested, MOA is a really nice place. Yeah. Oh, and somebody I, I'm ignoring the chat room again. Bad me. But they're asking if uh, we've heard about high carbon dioxide levels behind boats. As as we notice, yes. If you're in the back and they're exhausting off to the left of you, it's uh, really, really not really nice. Because yeah, it's heavier than air. So if you've got a day where the air is real still and the boat's sitting there idling, it's just going to kind of hit the water and go over. Well, that's like if you're, you know, boat and trail. And the first boat, I won't mention any names, <clears throat> that may have a dredge or something on it with a motor or pump. <laughs> and you're downstream of that. You're in all of that vapor. It gets sickening real quick. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's well, there's been times. Uh, that's about the only time I even get remotely seasick is if I've... You know, you, and, and raw gas can do the same thing to me, or diesel fuel. Oh, diesel. Yeah, you just start smelling that, and you're like, oh, gosh, that just kind of sets you off. But I think the advantage, if you are in that position, you breathe off your tank on the surface, and then it gets the mosquitoes away from you. <laughs> but by the same token, some people say the CO2 is what draws the mosquitoes to you. Ah. Oxide, that should make them go away, though. Yeah. I, I don't think it's recommended as a bug repellent. Not if you're breathing it. Now, the did, did we talk about this one from last week, the Navy divers helping pull up artifacts on the Confederate ship? I hey, free remember. help is easy to find, right? Yeah, for a few million dollars. Yeah. Uh, this is Navy divers help raise Confederate warship artifact from the Savannah River. This one's out of Norfolk, Virginia. The Navy is preparing to send its premier diving team Georgia helped salvage a Confederate warship from the depths of the Savannah River. The 1,200-ton ironclad CSS Georgia was scuttled by its own crew, prevent capture by William T. Sherman, famous for his march, when the Union Army took Savannah in December 1864. Today is considered to be a captured enemy vessel and property of the U.S. Navy. Shipwreck is being removed as part of the $703 million project to deepen the river channel so uh, larger cargo ships can make it up to the port of Savannah. Before the harbor can be deepened, the St. George has to be raised. They've spent years planning. Archaeologists began tagging and recording locations of artifacts. Uh, This started in January. They've been able to bring small artifacts to surface, but the Navy is being called in to raise the 120-foot ship's Larger sections and the weapons, Navy divers are scheduled to arrive on the site in uh, downtown Savannah, about 100 yards from the shore on June 1st. The Navy divers assigned to the project are from the same unit that helped the military on other projects, including the uh, USS Monitor project, uh, TWA Flight 800, Swiss Air Flight 111, and the Space Shuttle Challenger in Columbia. So that's just the, the group, correct? They have also been used to uh, recover items in the Great Lakes. Oh, have they? Yes. I can't think of the particular name of the ship, but they came in, helped remove the engine, and uh, another unique part of it. Uh, the last big time I, they were here in Lake Michigan was 
and I'm sure it had no nuclear weapons on board, but they took part in the salvage of the remnants of the B-52 bomber that uh, was doing a low-level run and uh, hit the water. Oh, that would be a bad day. It was for everybody on that that airplane, but it was a coincidence, my understanding, that the EOD team and the Navy decided to do their annual training up there for the summer. (laughs) (laughs) They actually brought Alvin in to actually practice with them. Practice? familiar with Alvin in the last Did they bring bring Ballard in, too? No, this was before Ballard time, but... uh, Oh, so Howard Hughes, then. Do we need to write an underwater conspiracy book? I think that would sell. <laughs> I'm still in for the UFOs myself. Let me tell you, this is a hotbed. It said uh, archaeologists will still make sure there are no other rem- remnants remaining after the Navy divers leave in the end of July. Work to preserve and catalog all the individual artifacts is expected to take another year or more. Did anybody say how long they had known about it was there? I'm so guessing since... Since 1864. Yeah. Since it's only 300 feet offshore, yes. It's one of those items. It's not important until what? Until somebody can make a profit off of it. Oh, yeah. And yeah, if it's your profit, you can't do it. It's got to be a government or a state. 703 million. How much is 703 million is spent on this? But it'd be good magnetometer practice. What do you do? Just drag a refrigerator magnet? You'd probably find it. I was going to say, what do you mean magnetometer? Just put that magnet over the board, drag until it catches on something. Hopefully not a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. Yeah, a magnetic bomb. I told you about the time I did find some uh, explosives under a boat once, didn't I? Uh, is this the one in Singer Lake? Yeah, I'm just very, very glad that uh, the batteries were dead by the time I removed, I removed them. Yeah, well, why don't you tell the the new listeners who they have, who haven't heard the story about this one? Yeah, I'm on at Singer Lake. It's a lousy visibility day, and there's a a good size, bigger than a rowboat, but big big size rowboat. And I'm digging under it for boat for for bottles, and I come up with these long pieces of pipe. And I said, what the heck, I just brought them up anyway. On the surface, I realized those long pieces of pipe were pipe bombs. And what they had at the top was a mercury switch, which is a glass vial, and a battery to a niter squib to fire the charge. Well, I brought them up. The mercury switches worked really good, but the batteries were shot. The reason they didn't detonate when they dropped them was they went straight down in the muck and they stood straight up and down. They didn't fall over and then go boom. Had I found them when they were new, it would have been not interesting for me. No. But the funny part is, this is before 9-11, obviously. So I called uh, the state police. They came by. I looked at them and said, nah, no big deal. They were probably using them to fish with, which is true. But if I found those nowadays? If you found those nowadays, now, nowadays, nowadays, nowadays? Yeah. Uh, there would be so many agencies taking credit for your find. Well, it's like they're in, in um, Niles. 
You know that one there where we found the uh, boxload of railroad torpedoes? Yes. Yeah, the only thing after we realized what they were is they requested that we please take the stuff out of the building first. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we did that nowadays. We'd be on national news. Yes, you would be. And labeled. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm I'm not familiar with this. We may have covered this one in the past. LaSalle Bell Shipwreck moves to its final spot at Bullock Museum. I haven't heard of that one. I click on that and I get Zippo, by the way. I'm having to move all my finds over to different... Yeah, it says the museum curators on Thursday carefully moved the reconstructed hall to its permanent display spot. Crew started assembling pieces of the 1688 or 86, 1686 French shipwreck in October at the museum. The hall will be the foundation of an interactive exhibit. You have decks of glass that visitors can walk on. You'll be able to look down at some of the cargo that was found on the ship. And then having some soaring cases of artifacts, weapons, everyday items, rosaries, everything that was found on the ship. The wreckage was found in 1995 and recovered from Manitorga Bay. Salvage experts then installed a coffer dam so water could be pumped out and the ship recovered. Texas A&M students preserved the pieces so they could be uh, reassembled in the Austin Museum. The 54-foot-long ship sunk during a storm as a part of the Explorer LaSalle's doomed expedition in early Texas. Wreckage of ship is LaSalle's effort to establish a French stronghold in Texas. This is according to the curator, Jim Bruceth. But it opened the door for Spain to start sending people to occupy Texas to keep the French out. So it goes to show in history, often a small event, the sinking of a ship can change history. And we have that ship. It seems like we talked about this one maybe a couple of years ago, Mac. Like the copper dam sticks in my mind. Yes, yeah. Which I think you asked the same thing. How much is that copper dam? Yeah, Who's paying it, for it? It's. I'd still like to return on the RTO on any archaeological uh, you know project and find out who's really paying for it. And it is obvious. It's taxpayers. And the only people to make any money is going to be the guys who write the books on what they found at your expense. Or sour grapes, something like that. Yeah. And then, boy, this this one's already got a lot of people talking. I was just on Facebook before the show, and there's just people going on about it. Um, If you remember, they had the Griffin found again. At least this time they're not saying they found the Griffin, but they claim they have found a shipwreck and that the shipwreck has a safe, and they're requesting the permission to, oh, do not start playing. I shall kill you. You have a bad internet night tonight. Well, they're, they're just these freaking websites. And Sparrow, is that the one that came up? I don't know. It's like I stopped one video, now another one's going. These are like plagues of locusts. 
eating your electronic pixels. No, you... Oh. Stop. Go away. Your content will be available. I don't even want your content. So, uh, I should look for other articles. I'm going to start keeping a band list of these websites who do this. Gannett Publishing, you're on my hit list. Go away. Um, December 2014, the public claimed that they were finding the holy grail of all shipwrecks, the Griffin. Now, now, say they found another shipwreck. They chose not to go. They found that ship. Okay, they're going. They're talking about the, the Griffin one. Um, this is the gold that was supposed to be stolen in Georgia and lost on the ship. Yeah, yeah. where we dive the Ann Arbor 5, they said that this was the Ann Arbor 4. At least that's what they're showing in this photo. Uh, yeah, well, they've got some stuff confused. Yeah, that well, makes for a good picture. They said that, uh, so as soon, soon as the ice in Lake Michigan went away, they started diving, and this is Distra and Monroe. They discovered in January, oh, gosh, they keep going on. I hate the way this is written. This is just like a list of facts. They go on talking about gold stories true, lots of money, we're going to be rich. Um uh, And as a quick side note, you know this is on Facebook too, right? Yeah. The wreck they found. Yeah. It's, yeah. You want to go to, You know, can I do? Can I do the Paul Harvey piece? Sure. Tell you the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, according to a source in Holland uh, from MSRA, this is a what they call a mini freighter or an oversized tug called the Jane sank in 1927 has already been fully documented photographed inspected by the state and the safe quote unquote is nothing more than the remnants of a cook stove (laughs) i'm curious did they publish the location for other people so I don't know, but if the state has it, it ought to be on some lists. Yeah, because if they've done all that aspect, pictures and recording, that should have been available, mm-hmm. and one would think it would already be on the ship. Well, and if it's not publicized, I think that somebody needs to get on the state, because I think part of this would be, because it was down at 120 feet. That was my next question. It's how deep, so it is within the... Well, is it within... It's yeah. with, because to me, I, within sport diving limits, each yep. preserve has its own geographical boundaries. Mm-hmm. So you know, some preserves are five miles, no matter how deep. Yeah. Other preserves are to 130 feet, four Correct. or five miles, whichever is less. Yeah. So they're saying this was 120 feet in one of the articles I read. So I was thinking, yeah, that's that's diveable, and it, heck, it, it looks like a cool boat. It's kind of a small one. Uh, what did they say? 60, 60 feet? Yeah, one twenty. One hundred twenty feet deep, but how so long? Size of the boat was sixty feet. Mm. 
I can't find anything on it. He's done this article. But it was a small yeah, one. I think go, I read if it. If you uh, go to YouTube and look up the baby Jane or what's going to happen to the baby Jane, there's a 21-minute video out there. Published in 2012. Well, let's see. Are we done with that? <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's tough. You. Yeah, you know, it's freedom of speech. You can go and make false claims all you want. Well, you you don't know what you don't know until you yeah. find out something different. Well, and then did they put out this release, or did somebody at the you know when they went to ask about it, did somebody at the state leak it, or did um, it just happen to be a case of timing where? You know, the, they're they're saying, "Hey, how's it going?" Since they go, "Hey, we got this other thing you want to talk about." Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those where it could be until somebody does their research. But you know, uh, WZZM thirteen out of Grand Rapids was the one that I believe broke the story, and from what in common I saw, they're doing an update to. Uh, clarify you know who who actually found it and what it is yeah you know uh you know oh here's the rest of the story yeah which i think is so, fair the tough thing yeah. about it is that it's like once you've gotten information that you don't know how do you get connected back to it we've talked about this many times how do you get the follow-ups for, for articles Now, let's see. This next one is uh, underwater footage for shipwreck. And it's now been posted online. This is video of the week. The Bridgeport barges, which is the only Connecticut shipwreck that are in the National Historic Register of Historic Sites, was filmed with permission of the state of Connecticut and Bridgeport Harbor near the railroad station. This is an interesting we had talked about before. That was the Erie Canal boat. Remember that? Yes. And I sent you another link that might be a little more interesting than the other one we just had. Uh-huh. And it actually comes up without all sorts of crap on it. Oh, I like this one, the Squall Marine Divers. Yeah. The side scans are pretty nice on those canal boats. Well, those are, those are pretty. Yeah. Now, how deep is this? Is this probably not too deep? Well, bar canal boats can't be too deep. No, they're going to be broad and... Almost square. But then it comes down to why do they have to get permission to film it? Yeah. I was looking at the video on it. Lots of junk on it. It'd be fun to do. But who's going to stop me from going down there eyeballing it and doing the video? Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I heard that Michigan is going to start charging for sunsets now. You know, it's five dollars for every photo you take of the sunset. And who do you pay? Me. Yeah. I'm collecting for everybody else. 
I already lost yesterday's notes, but I'm going to start again today. <laughs> I was looking at some of the video. That is some neat crap down there, guys. But it's got rigging and fishing stuff all over that boat. You would definitely go down with shears when you're on this one. Yeah, is it, is it pretty dark? No, you uh, that site I sent to you. Click mm-hmm. on that, and then there's a video down below. I, I killed the sound real quick. It looks like our green stuff with our GoPros, but oh, okay. their visibility is much better. Lots of lots of pieces and parts. Be a grubber's paradise, let me tell you. Uh-huh. If you were so inclined. And if you happen to do that sort of thing. Okay, so that's one of the videos. And then let's see what's the other one. Um, Oh, we have some cool scuba gear. We call this one a cool scuba surface. Service. And this is called duffel. And what the idea is, is if you're a frequent traveler, when you travel, you'll you ship your clothes uh, to the hotel, and it's in this special suitcase. And when you leave, it gets shipped to a warehouse where they'll launder your clothes, refold them, and then store them until your next trip. And they said for some frequent uh, travelers, it's a very handy service because they're always going and and get their clothes shipped. And if they don't have time to do laundry, it all can happen. Uh, but what I thought was interesting, I said one of the areas that this, this service, and it's called Duffel, uh, D-U-F-L, is that there is is for people in sports like golf or scuba diving. So what you would do is when you're taking your scuba diving trips, you would send your gear to back to them, and then when you go to your next location, they'll have it shipped to your hotel. So when you get there, your gear is already there. And I kind of like that idea. I, I thought duffel came from the aspect of the duffel bag from the military. I, I think that's what their intent is, but yeah, as they're 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 probably going through venture capital cash right now, yeah. and they're they're trying to do their business plan to say how it can make sense. And uh, what this is out of Forbes magazine, they're talking about you know when you make a hundred twenty dollars an hour, uh, they said anything that you can pay somebody less than than what you make an hour to do, you should pay them the deal. Which is kind of a flawed economic principle because... Or it's like eating out. Exactly. It's like I can spend a lot more money than I make paying people who make less than me. It doesn't mean that you know, it's free. Uh, but the, the, the scuba diving, I've thought about this many times, is when you've got weights and tanks and other things. It'd be nice, though, if, if they had partnered with a, a dive shop or somebody who, when your gear came in, it could be... Like they're how they're cleaning clothes, maybe they could... You know, keep track of your gear. Like I've always said, I'd go back to Bonterre if I had somebody I could pay to carry my gear down. And up. <laughs> so maybe that's a trick. Is Duffel needs to get your gear to the bottom of Bonterre. <laughs> so when you get there, you just walk in and hook it up. And they had Bonterre on uh, NBC News this morning on the Today Show. What for? Uh, just doing a piece on, you know, the, the mine... And the fact you can take boat rides now, plus a scuba dive in it, and hey. underwater history—it was, or not under—you know—all the history that's underwater in this billion-gallon lake. 
Yeah, they uh, they they had some of the local talent from the show was I think also doing some. Di- Were they diving or just in the boats? No, they dove. Yeah, so cool. That'd be yeah, that'd be cool. Now here is uh, a kid from down in Australia who said he's come up with a new idea. Sounds a little familiar to me, but don't want to discourage somebody. He said he's trying to make the underwater world more accessible, so he's come up with this idea of having uh, kind of like a face mask with a hose that runs to a surface to a compressor. Now, I would call that a hooker rig. It is. (laughs) So I'm just wondering, did he schnooker a bunch of people who are not realizing that was already a product? This is a university student, Erdick uh, Vanderbeek Martin, combined scuba diving and snorkeling with an invention inspired to take experience of swimming underwater mainstream. 23-year-old has been scuba diving with his family for eight years across Sydney as well as in the Samoan Islands. He felt the sport was not being embraced enough due to the level of training and certifications required to dive safely. So for his final project at uh, NSW, I think it was at North South, South Wales, maybe, uh, university uh, industrial design program. He invented a visual prototype called Free Dive, which allows swimmers to breathe underwater through air compressor, which floats in the surface of the ocean. So maybe in his mind he invented it, but that's that's a hooker rig. It's a hooker rig on an air tube. Read the comments below it. Oh, do they people say the same thing? Yeah, like, what do you mean? I've had one of those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to say his industrial design kind of looks sexy. Yeah, he's, he's you know, tried to make it a, you know, he's got handles on it. It's all self-contained. But the, also the thing is it's a visual prototype, meaning that none of this actually works. It's uh, it, it's something you do. But if he wins, he gets $10,000, which goes to help making it a product. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a hooker rig. And I would be a little bit concerned because I, Maybe legally you don't have to have training, but it seems like you can get in a whole lot of trouble. We have talked about this before. You're 15 feet down. <clears throat> you take a big gulp of air and you get spooked and you come straight up. Yeah. You're well, about, in serious trouble. Well, how about snagged? You get snagged on something. You're just as stuck with a hooker rig as you are with a with oh, a. Oh yeah, client. you pull the mask off your face. <clears throat> you panic. Holy breath, come up. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it, it gives you a false sense of security because you don't think it has to be certified. So hopefully these people who sell this sort of gear uh, try and do something to make sure people understand how it works. Mostly through 100 forms. Here, sign this. <laughs> Boy, we're just full of it. I'm, I'm just... Really, I don't think, you know, I say it's been a tough week, but it hasn't been a bad week. It's just been a tough week. You get those, but boy, it's, yeah. I'm off tomorrow. Maybe that's what I need. I need to die. That's it. We're going to blame it on not getting in the water. That's water deprivation. Water deprivation. It's a medical condition. Uh, it's probably got to be in a, uh, a code for that, a medical code. Well, you know the solution to the problem. Come. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, lock lock my family into a room and then go diving. 
telling you going to work and then go diving. And tell the people at work you're going to work to be with the family. God, I got half that done. <laughs> you just need to, you need to, myself time. Yeah. Yeah, breathing some compressed gas. So since I haven't been doing it, I got to live vicariously through you guys. So I know, Mac, you had to at least get one dive in this week. Yeah, yeah. Did kayak dive out there in my favorite haunt, Pawpaw Lake. Mm-hmm. Checking out a new area. Now, I noticed in the background of the of your photo in Pawpaw, mm-hmm. there used to be like a little tiny cabin there by the pier. And now there's like this big structure with house wrap on it. Isn't that nice? <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, they don't make any more lakefront property. They just fill it up with bigger houses. Yep. They took down the old one and put that baby up. Very, very nice. But what I think one of those I was trying to show that when I was out there, that white caps and high white, wind. White caps and papa, that's pretty hardy. It wasn't bad going down, coming back with a pain in the ass. The wind was blowing against you? Oh, yeah, and I'm dragging a float. <laughs> and I'm a big, I'm like a big sail sitting on the top. So it's a little bit like when, the, when we're fighting river currents and wind. It was almost like leave the kayak there. Leave the gear there, find my, my car and drive over. Yeah. Drag it out of somebody's backyard. Yeah, beach it. Five and that dollars. was my plan if it had been really, really, really bad. Wow. But the, So what did you find? Anything interesting? Well, I had scanned it <clears throat> a couple of years ago. And it left the timber because I kept thinking maybe there's a boat down there. And there were some huge logs and timbers. So I am just scratched the surface because I can put a probe down, probe down three feet and not hit anything. Really? Yeah, you're coming from six feet. It goes slopey down to 30 feet really, really quick. And I found one section I thought it was a huge sailboat. And it's a freaking tree. But it's it looks like it's been shaved on the top. It's about a foot and a half thick. And I got under it because it's stuck into the side of the hill. And there's a section I thought it was a, a free, you know, a centerboard, a daggerboard. Uh-huh. So I'm under this, on this, what I think is a daggerboard, and it's part of a tree. Wow. Talk about weird looking. And the visibility is crap. Yeah. And I just mucked it up because I'm on a slope that's, like I said, three foot deep of nothing. But, yeah, I just stretched the surface. Uh, now, are these cut? logs or trees or are these just natural things that have fallen in a lot of it looks like well I, I talked to the man who owns the house that i'm diving in front of he gave me the history and said oh by the way this was a hotel and he was talking about boy if you lived up there in the attic part and you had your room is you're going to die during the summer because there's no ventilation blah 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 uh-huh. but off that slope i am finding concrete 50-gallon barrels with chain all over it. I don't know what was connected to it because there's nothing there now. Is there a name painted on the side of the barrel? No. No. <laughs> Bob Yes. <Yeah. Smith. laughs> Poe's son. Yeah. So I'll be going back out there because that's all. It's a good size area, and that's going to – and I haven't been deeper than 30 feet because I've been trying to do the slope. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, next time I go out, I'm going to go deeper. And, and check a lot more. But I just found me a spot, started digging. And, you know, 
how those damn golf balls get, you know, two feet under <laughs> the dirt, I don't know. I found some shoes, um, plastic stuff that I have no idea what it was. I found one bottle about as big as my thumb, which was very nice. So I know there's got to be stuff there, but there's rocks, there's boulders. It's really, really interesting, whatever that part so is. It gets deep real quick. Oh, yeah. So it was out of sight, out of mind. So it became a really nice dumping ground. That's what it looks like to me, and I'm really hoping I'm going to find something good. So it could have been. You're welcome to come out there and dive it. It's a long swim if you don't have a boat. Yeah. And it's not so much getting there, but you can use all your freaking air. And by the time you want to go back, that's a long walk back. Yeah, that can be that can be stuff. But there's no place to park, and nobody wants to give you public access, and there's no freaking parking because it's that parallel road to the uh, lake, mm-hmm. and you're either in their driveway or you're on the road. Yeah. Well, like like you said, it might be a perfect boat dive. Just get a small little boat and yeah, and hold a few divers, good. and you just dive off it and go down. It yeah, could be I, a good. I got the permission to go up there and anchor off their dock, and they just said, "What am I finding?" And I just told them, you know, this, that, and the other. But the absence of, I found some tin cans and one or two beer bottles, but the absence of any other glass really, really surprises me. Could it just be to work deeper in the muck? That's that's where I'm thinking, like, maybe I could have a little device that might move some stuff quicker. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like a fin or a, yeah, or a hand. Or a paddle on my hand, something like that. Or a 40-horsepower yeah. motor with a jet. Oh, oh, never mind. Soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, cool. So, Pawpaw Lake's been most of your stops this week? Yeah, biz is maybe five feet max. It's it's strictly wet suit, even down to 30 feet, five-finger gloves. Nice. And the fish, I for a minute thought I might have had some interesting carp. I'm paddling back, and I'm hearing these splash, splash. I look around. These freaking carp are jumping out of the water. Wow. Either something spooked them down there, or they saw Jesus. Or they're Asian carp. And and they didn't jump all the way out, and that's why I kept thinking, it can't be Asian, because those guys jump and they leap. These guys are coming straight up like a torpedo. So maybe it's one of those snapping turtles. Well, actually, I was wondering that, because off to my left, I watched his head poke up and swimming, so I started easing towards him, and then eventually the head sort of turned to my direction. <laughs> now, did he have uh, did he have David written on his back? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> but I swear his head was bigger than my fist. Yeah, there can be some big guys down there. Uh, now, Jim, did you had any luck getting out? Yes, uh, when I was in. Maryland over Memorial Day weekend, I get a local quarry there, uh, Hyde's Park Quarry. It's operated by Carroll County, owned by the county, and maybe as big as Gilboa, not as deep, but maybe about as big around. So this is in Ohio? Uh, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah, so uh, Westminster, Westminster, Maryland. Nice. Northwest of Baltimore. Now, is it uh, is it known for divers? Uh, yeah, it's 
kind of an inland training area for that Westminster, Frederick, Baltimore area. And uh, so it's 50 feet at the bottom. They've got a couple platforms in it and a few items to look at. Um, it's spring-fed, so it's always cold at the bottom. And we seem to hit it about... Algae must have been blooming because the water was very, very green. And visibility was maybe 12 to 15 feet. So we dove that on the Sunday before Memorial Day. Put a couple gnomes in a place to start a gnome farm, much like Gilboa has. And then uh, we also, in honor of Memorial Day, uh, put a flag, a nice three-by-five American flag, on the platform for everybody to enjoy when they're working on the platform. Now, do those gnomes breed like the gooey ducks? Do they just, like, spread spawn everywhere and then they reproduce? Um, we're hoping this gnome farm will grow, but time will tell. Well, that's excellent. So how, what was the, how was the water temperature? Is it getting to be good? Well, uh, surface was probably mid-50s, very comfortable. There was a thermocline at 10 feet that dropped it down to mid-40s. And another one about 25 feet that put it in the high 30s to low 40s. And that bottom thermocline, you know, it, it, between the two thermoclines uh, and all the algae on the surface at 45 feet, it was really pretty dark. I mean, you could still have ambient light to see, but a light made a big difference. So a little bit like uh, Lake 16 dive then. Uh, yeah, yeah, very much like Lake 16, except more algae and, yeah, just very pronounced green water. Now, is this uh, near Poughkeepsie? No, you said it's Maryland. Maryland, yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up, uh, Baltimore. Yeah, I'm picking up uh, uh, Hyde Park, New Jersey, or New York, or someplace else. Okay, cool. Uh, got a couple dives in there. Excellent. Well, that's good that you're, you're able to get out. I saw that there was some other divers trying to get out, and then there's some talk about doing some dives this weekend. The weather isn't looking really good on the big lake, but I hear that Bob and Kurt are planning on Lake 16. On Sunday. On Sunday. Yeah, I may may try to get over there. I've got a, some work to do in the water down at the river uh, St. Joe Junior Foundation. We're going to help them out with some dock work over the weekend. So we'll be hopefully, well, hopefully it's just in water surface work and nothing submerged, but we'll have all the gear if we need to pick up any lost tools or whatever after the work is done. So they're trying to do some like surface dock repairs then? Yeah, they're going to install some skirt boards um, between the dock and the water level mm-hmm. so that the boats can't get underneath the dock and get damaged. 
Okay. Cool. Well, so it's a nonprofit, good organization, teaching sailing to kids. And now, is this the one by the Whirlpool location? No, that's uh, Benton Harbor, if it's still operational. This is St. Joe. It's over by the uh, St. Joe River Yacht Club. Okay. So not not uh, far enough, but not super far. Enough to be in St. Joe. Okay. Well, excellent. And it is getting that time of the year, though. This is... <clears throat> We've we've passed Memorial Day. We're officially into the summer season. Start counting your weekends and making your plans because it will be done before we know it. And my calendar really, is getting filled up. I'm really looking forward to getting out and getting on the Havana and oh, I, I, I'm track and working my way up the coast this year. I'm I'm ready to get out on the the big lake. I can't wait. But it doesn't look like it's going to be this weekend, unfortunately. All right. Um, my little bid this week, you're always going to say, well, if you got in mind, if you guys haven't heard, uh, you can do a survey kit. Let me rephrase that. The University of Illinois is looking for volunteers to collect freshwater sponges. Uh-huh. I, and I went through my pictures, and remember I had found this um, green-looking stuff, algae and yep. whatever I thought on rocks? Yep. Well, yeah. That happens to be freshwater sponge. Oh, yep. So I've got some pictures of it, and then I thought, wait a minute, it looks just like what they want samples of. So what they're doing is SAS is going to be a collecting station, and they're going to be sending out kits to those who want to take part in this effort, and it'll tell you how to, you know, how to get the sample, how to make of it, how to doc- document, and where to send it. Okay. So I already contacted her, excuse me, to send me a kit because I want to take part in this, and um, maybe some of the other people, if I can bring this to the club meeting, once I get one and show what it is, other people might want to do it. But it's quite interesting. If you go to um, sasdive.com, and those who aren't local, it's SAS Aquatics out of Battle Creek, and go to their, where they have their local dives and events, and they have a real good article on it, some good pictures, and it looks like something really worthwhile to do. Now, is SAS sponsoring this, or is this... Uh... No, it, it, it's in the interest for uh, Illinois, uh, University of Illinois in Chicago. Oh, okay. But they're going to be sending out some of the kits, you know, to help them participate, because, you know, trying to have the college or the university do it with a limited number of people versus divers who are out there all the time, if they see it, mm-hmm. those who are interested in taking a sample to send to them, they would obviously greatly appreciate it. Okay. So I'm going to do that as part of the club event, and other people might want to participate. Yeah, I'm I'm looking on their website now. So yeah, if you go to sasdive.com, you got to go scroll down to about the third or fourth article down. Right, we'll go and, dive some events. Yep, it says do something cool this summer, and they talk about the sponges. And they show a picture, and I'm pretty sure I've seen some of these under it's, the it, bridge. Under the bridges, guys. That's where I've seen it, and off to the right hand side. Okay. It'll be interesting to see how much is still there with the new bridge being torn down. Or oh, that that has changed a lot, and it's going to change some more. But I'm thinking. Yeah, because I've seen not only green, but I've seen white. 
Department of Medicinal Chemistry and Pharmacology or or Pharmacognosis. They just kept adding variable vowels to that. It looked interesting, so I'm going for it. Yeah, and they got some links on there. They've got uh, so you can find out more about what the research they're doing. And then if you went down to the bottom, you see the ferry boat found at Reeves Lake. Yeah. That's that project that um, Kevin has been working with. Yeah. And, and Grand Valley State and a few others. But that will give you a little bit of information if you're interested in that. Yeah, and Kevin's been working with them quite a bit. They've, they're interested in that, and they've sounds like they're inviting them out next time they're going to do some work. Well, yeah, Kevin and them and uh, DL Divers were out on Gull Lake, and you probably saw some of the pictures of the boats they found. Oh, yeah, he, that's right. I forgot to mention they Kevin. They very, very good. And that makes you think you kind of get spoiled on some of these lakes and think that everything's been found, and maybe they've been found, but we didn't know where they were at, and he's doing survey work and finding just, gosh. Well, the, one of them is a, the one that's still got a boiler on it, and that's in the north end of the lake. I think they're looking for that. And there's supposed to be another one out there, and I think that's what they're looking for meaning engine-driven. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're, and there's one in the south part of the lake, which I've dove on with Bob and Kurt. That's got a boiler on it. You and that south one's the one I met, not the north. Oh, the south one. Yeah, I've been on that one. Uh, that, to me, seems like, well, when you're down there and you see it, you go, wow, this should be easy to find. But it doesn't have, it, it maybe rises a couple feet from the bottom. But it's everything else's muck, it rises up. Okay. Uh, let's see, do we have anything to plug? Still working on the website, getting some more stuff done. It's it's getting sooner. It's but it's probably still gonna not it's still gonna be a couple of lakes off. Lakes off. My goodness. Uh, a couple of weeks off. And we will be having a guest on the show coming on up, so keep a watch out. We'll announce that the week before they'll be on. So I think it's uh, it'll be sometime in June we'll have a special guest, maybe two. We'll see how that goes. Uh, how's the preserve doing, Jim? Uh, it has been slow due slow? to the lack of activities of the president. Okay. Gone fishing or diving? Well, I've been working on a good location list ah. uh, and a map, which mm-hmm. I hope to get. Actually, I did make a couple of them up. Uh, we're going to give a uh, a map of all the wrecks in the area that identified wrecks on one side, and on the other side, a list of GPS coordinates. Okay make that available for sale if people would like to contribute. Now, let, let me know if you need any help with that. I can. I got all the tools to do stuff like that if you need a hand. Uh, yeah. Cool. So, well, we'll look forward to that. And uh, what's, what's new in the dive shop? Well, what's new in the dive shop is my tank. I need to stop in there. I had my tank hydro, and it's back. It's back and ready, waiting for you. Yeah. And Mac was asking about a small tank. That's there waiting for him. 
And we had a real find. I, I'll, I'll open it up now because I sent it to the Mud Club first, and then I posted it on the uh, shop site. So now we'll spread the word. But we had uh, found a, a number of 72, steel 72s that had been sitting in the warehouse. Uh, brought them out, got them all hydro. They all passed hydro. Uh, we're rolling a few of them to clean them up. And so if people are looking for some steel 72s to oh, double up, that is uh, real we will tempting. have them available because that is, those are, are great for diving in the yeah. sport range. Yeah, double 72s make great sport range doubles. Oh, you, yeah, you got a yeah, hundred total 140 cubic feet. Available and those twenty two fifty, twenty two fifties. Yep. That's a night, and night. they're the they're the straight straight threads, not the tapered pipe threads. So they take the larger the three quarter standard yoke valve. So you can double them up very easily. And I have heard of people who do overfill those tanks. Oh, now. You can't have those hydro as an overfill, can you? Well, they're going to hydro it to five-thirds of the rated pressure. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's what the requirement is. They can't. They yeah. couldn't, like, hydro them, and then they'd be a higher pressure no, tank. No, they, the hydro facility cannot change the rated pressure of the tank. Okay. However, if it passes a five-thirds hydro... Right. Yeah, I... I, I can I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, some people call them Florida cave fills. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's, so that's if you're looking for some 72s, you want to get a hold of Jim at the dive shop. So excellent. Did Matt, do you have anything to plug before we go? No, just a SAS item. And uh, you guys got to get out there and get wet. I mean, hell, it's... Oh. <laughs> Almost fifty degree water already. Uh, I'm thinking August or something. <laughs> so it feels like I work right next to Lake Michigan. And I can't ever get into it. How many people do we have in the uh, chat room tonight, or did we have? Uh, we had a few. We had uh, Wheaton Diver and St. Louis Sam and Surfer George and uh, a couple unnamed guests who floated in. And we thank you for listening. And I was bad about links. If you're in there, just start hollering and saying, hey, can you me some links? But we give links to those in advance. And then as part of the new website launch, we'll have – you can get the show notes early, which will force me to get them done before the show. And uh, you can follow along. Oh, I, I, I appreciate the people who listen in there because hopefully we'll get feedback and we can make things more to the liking or add interesting items that they may want us to comment on or talk about. Well, then they ask questions, you know, like the carbon dioxide, which I can see it be a, could be a concern. I, th- I think in general it's rare because you're outside and it, it tends to dissipate, but it's a thing to be aware of. Plus, who wants to breathe in the first place? Uh, and we are aware of it for other items, not just behind the boat. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I think we're to that time of the show. Yes. Hey, before you do, I just wanted to make a comment here. Mm-hmm. Did you know that if you take a 72 cubic foot tank, which is rated at 2,250 PSI, 
and overfill it to 3,000 PSI, it gives you the equivalent of a 95. Yeah. Really? Yep. But we didn't say that out loud. We do no. not encourage no. you to do that. No, I'm, I, according to the math, that's what the equivalent would that's be. That's what it would be, hypothetically. No one, if you... no one encourages people to overfill tanks beyond their rated capacity. Never. But that is interesting. <laughs> Somebody should make a tank that size. <laughs> Hey, be conservative. Just make twenty six hundred, and you still got an eighty. I think I just think they're a nice size tank. I like the size of them. Nice size, nice buoyancy characteristics. I I do know that you got to be careful because the last time I was filling tanks for a lot of people at one time, I'm filling, and then I did not realize that one of them was a twenty two fifty. So uh, it, and you made it a 95, didn't you? It, it, it got a 3,000 pound fill before I realized, like, what the hell? When, when they it's go to fail, fail, they just kind of bulge at the side, kind of like a balloon, don't they? Hopefully the little pressure disc goes boom first, but uh, it didn't. But it was tightly warm, slightly warm. So make sure you know what tank you're filling. Yep. Don't be a robot. Okay. Well, here is the joke. Are you ready? Ever since I was a child, I've always had a fear of someone under my bed at night. So I went to a psychiatrist and told them, I've got a serious problem. Every time I go to bed, I think there's somebody underneath it. I'm scared. I think I'm going crazy. Just put yourself in my hands for one year, said the psychiatrist. Come talk to me three times a week. We should be able to get rid of those fears. How much do you charge? $80 per visit, replied the doctor. I'll sleep on it. If needed, I'll come back to you, I said. Six months later, the psychiatrist met me in the street. Why didn't you come to see me about those fears you were having, he asked. Well, 80 bucks a visit, three times a year, is an awful lot of money. A bartender cured me for just 10 bucks. So I was happy I saved all that money and went out and bought a new car. Is that so? With a bit of an attitude, he said, so how, may I ask, did the bartender cure you? Well, he told me to cut the bed, the legs off my bed. There's no room for anybody underneath it now. <laughs> Works for me. I have to try that with a kid next time, too. Yeah. <laughs> Do we need another one? Do we need a... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh. Well, that was like a warm-up. And that one came from Rod. Both of these came from Rod. And we hope, Rod, we hope you're feeling better because uh, he was under the weather. Uh really ill so hope you're doing better and we, we appreciate the yes. we appreciate the jokes we uh, won't say anything about them being bad jokes right? no, no not at all a nun was sitting at an airport waiting for her flight into chicago she looked over at the corner and there's one of those weight machines that tells your fortune she thought to herself i'll give it a try and see what it tells me she went over the machine stepped up to the scale put her nickel in out comes a card it read you're a nun you weigh 128 pounds and you're going to Chicago. The nun sat back and told herself that the machine probably said that card to everyone. The more she thought, the more curious she got, so she decided to try it again. She went back to the machine again, put her nickel in. Out came a card that read, you're a nun, you weigh 128 pounds, you're going to Chicago, and you're going to play the fiddle. The nun said to herself, I know that's wrong. I have never played a musical instrument 
even once in my life. She sat back down. From out of nowhere, a cowboy came over, sat down, putting his fiddle on the seat next to her. Without thinking, she picked up the cowboy's fiddle, took it out, and played beautiful music. Surprised at what she had done, she looked over at the machine, thinking, this is incredible. I've got to try this again. Back to the machine she went. She put another nickel in. The card came out and read, you're a nun. You weigh 128 pounds. You're going to Chicago. Now you're going to break wind. Now she knows the machine is wrong because she thought to herself, I've never broken wind in a public place in all my life. But getting down off the machine, she slipped. She strained herself a little bit, fall to the floor, and then she broke wind. Absolutely, she's stunned. She got back down and looked at the machine. She said to herself, well, this is truly remarkable. I have to try this again. She went to the machine, put in another nickel. Another card came out. says, you're a nun. You weigh 128 pounds. You have fiddled and farted around and missed your flight to Chicago. I think you went out of sequence. No. We got to play the fiddle first. And farted and missed her flight. Fiddle farted. But he didn't do the fiddle. You didn't talk about fiddling first, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, there's fiddling in there. He played the fiddle. Yeah, the the cowboy. The cowboy cowboy sat down. Yeah. Oh, she fiddled. Okay, she fiddled first. Yeah, so she fiddle farted and then missed her flight. It's still good, though. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, go out there and get wet. Stay safe. And don't fiddle fart in your dry suit. <laughs> that is some good advice. Or if you do, make sure you've got a real good friend who unzips it for you. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.